beginning of my message, I have one declaration from God to give to us all. Unto us, a child is born. I want you to remember that all morning as we think about the fact that that child has come specifically to bring to us peace. And that's what the theme is today, uh, the peace that comes to us through this child. So we need to think about what peace is talking about in the Bible, because like so many of the other words of Advent, the way I usually use the word peace is not the way that the Bible uses it, especially in this text. Um, usually we think about peace in, in a quite limited fashion. Uh, one part is absence of war. And surely when there's war, there's no peace. So that's a part of it. But it is not the whole of what the Bible's talking about when it says that this child who's going to be born brings peace. The word peace, and I think I've written it here for you, uh, because this was written in Hebrew and that was Isaiah's language, I, you probably know that Hebrew word for peace. It, it's shalom. And that word, peace, shalom, is a term of relationships. And so what biblical peace is all about, what the child has come to bring, is to make every human relationship, every relationship you can have, what God intended it to be. Um, that, that, that would be, of course, the one among nations that brings about uh, uh, peace among people who are at war. But, but beyond that, it, it has to do with peace inside of our own beings, where so often we feel broken with anxiety or, or depression. It has to do with him coming to bring peace in all of our human relationships. I mean, marriages and, and families and friendships, and yes, even at work where there's no, no duplicity and there's no, no hatred. It also even has to do with our relationship to everything made in this world. That instead of us destroying what God has created, we'll care for it as he intended us to care for it. And so to, to see that, I, I think this is something we long for. I mean, wouldn't you like to have every relationship you have in your entire existence to be exactly the way you want it to be and the way that God has created it to be? I'll tell you, that is a longing of my heart sometimes. And that brings us to what the prophet Isaiah said about that. Because in his day, which was a long time ago, 2,800 years ago, his people were not experiencing shalom. Uh, and we're, what we're going to see is what God promises to do to change that. And so just to, to, before we can see what it says to us, let's take a moment to see what he was saying to his people 2,800 years ago. Uh, and the problem they had that, that was disrupting their shalom and their peace is what Isaiah described as death darkness. What do you think about that term? It, it's translated, it's the very last word in chapter 8, and it's translated in my version, utter darkness. And it comes up again in chapter 9, and it's translated there, deep darkness. But what it does is it puts together two of the most difficult realities of, of our human lives, namely darkness, where we can't see what to, where to go, and death. And somehow these people had gotten themselves into this death darkness, because when you get into that, if I can try to describe it, the issues come to you in your life, and I can imagine most of us can relate to this. Issues come, decisions come to us, and we just don't know what to do. Sometimes there are those decisions we don't know where they're going to lead. We, we turn here or there to try to find out what are, what are other people saying, what are other people doing, but sometimes we don't really know the basis of the decision that we are to make. H have you ever been in that kind of a place where you wonder, if I make this decision, it might lead there. If I make this one, it might. neither one seems any good. Well, that's what he said there. His entire people 
were going about. And, and their particular situation was that they were there lodged between two superpowers and they knew that there was going to be an invasion and it looked like there was absolutely no hope and they didn't know what to do. They were in, the way he puts it, deep darkness, death darkness. Now, why were they there? The cause. And the best thing that I can say is self-determination. They, they left God out of the decision-making. So, uh, even even Isaiah's own people, uh, those who go back to Abraham, they didn't get along. So they were broken into two nations. They had uh, Israel, the ten tribes to the north, if you know anything about this, and Judah. Uh, Isaiah's people were there to the south, and they were even sometimes at odds with one another. And so the kings, and Isaiah prophesied for 60 years. He just watched this happen over and over again. They wanted uh, to preserve their nation from, from the devastation of the battles that were going to come, but they didn't exactly know where to turn. Just to help you envision it, I'm going to put the uh, map up here for you to see it. I, I think I've shown this to you before. Um, there, Do you see up there in the north Assyria? This is a huge, powerful nation with a, 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 an enormous military, and the other superpower is down to the south and to the west, Egypt. Now, I don't know if you can see it. Do you see Jerusalem sort of right in the middle of them? The only way, these, they vied for domination of the world, and the only way for them to do this was to go right down there, right through Israel and Judah, and it happened over and over and over again, and, and it was going to happen again. Isaiah had been called to prophesy about this and, as a very young man, and when we get to Isaiah chapter 9, uh, some of the things that he was prophesying were just a few years from happening, and that was the, the, the one from the north, Assyria, was going to come and take them, exile, take them into slavery. Uh, Ahaz, King Ahaz was the man who was the king of Judah. That was Isaiah's people. He wasn't a very godly king, <laughs> but he wanted to protect his people. And so the way he thought you have to protect my, your people is make an alliance. And so with whom? With Egypt? With Syria, maybe with, 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 with Syria, a smaller nation that was there, or with his, what was he going to do? And so he'd made his decision, but the prophecy came to him from Isaiah. God has said, I have this one. Trust me on this one. Don't make those alliances. I will protect you. But Ahaz didn't really believe it. And so God turned back. Isaiah came to him and God said to tell you, Ahaz, ask for a sign, any sign you want. God will give it to you so that you can know he's going to do what he said he's going to do. But Ahaz didn't want to do that. He'd already made his decision. Have you ever come to church sometimes? Maybe the preacher preaches something that tells you to go a different way, but you've already made your decision. None of you here, I'm sure. But he'd already made it. He'd already made his alliance with Assyria. And at the uh, end of the day, it looked short, in short term, looked like it was going to work out. In long term, it was the worst thing he possibly could have done. The whole issue was he was trying to make decisions about important things in life, and he didn't turn to God. He just went the way he wanted to go. And it wasn't just Ahaz, um, as you heard the Jennings as they read. When you look at chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, all the people who were there were also just making their decisions by turning to other sorts of counsel. They were turning to spiritists. They were turning to mediums. So he says in verse 19, you consult mediums and spiritists. Shouldn't you consult God? Consult God's instruction and his words of warning. If anyone does not do so, 
they will have no light of dawn. And they did not do so, and it left them in death darkness. Now, they blamed everybody else. They blamed their kings, their leaders. They blamed God. They were angry with God, but they would not turn back to God in faith and seek his ways. So what does God do? He wipes them out, right? Now, this is one of the beautiful things. Okay, some good news is coming into this death darkness. (laughs) Yes, there was the time of exile that came, but God did not give up on his people, and he provided a gift to change things, and that gift is a child. So chapter 8 ends with that word. Because they left God out of their lives, it put them into death, darkness. They didn't know where to turn. They had no hope. And then chapter 9 begins with that powerful word. Did you hear it as the scripture was read? Nevertheless, they'd gotten themselves into this mess. They left God out of their lives. Nevertheless, I, I like the word. You can tell just by the way I'm trying to proclaim it to you. I need to hear God say that to me again and again. Nevertheless, God still is God. A God of grace. A God who has arms open wide and you see it when Jesus comes. Ready to receive, forgive, rescue and restore us. When we come to him, ready to start again with us. And even though their own arrogance and their bullheadedness and their stubbornness had gotten them into this mess, God still loved them with an everlasting love. And he says, nevertheless, read through 8 to 9. Chris, I love the way you put it. It's like a U-shaped plot, isn't it? All the way down, but God can turn it into something that transforms everything. And so the fearful gloom of chapter 8 is going to be turned into no more gloom of chapter 9, verse 1. The death darkness of chapter 8 is going to be turned into a light that breaks into that darkness and changes everything. And and what you actually read in uh, Isaiah 9, 1 through 5 is everything we've been going through with our Advent candles uh, that comes down to earth, uh, that hope comes down to earth, a light breaks in, verses 1 and 2. Joy comes into where there was no joy in verses 3 and 4. All the people will rejoice again, and all of that will lead to peace, to all of that brokenness inside being healed. Don't you long for it? All of our relationships being brought back together, and eventually even wars will be done, and you can read the beautiful language about that. How is God going to do it? How is God going to step into this Okay, you know the story, most of you, so act like you don't. Okay. How would you expect him to do this? Give them a bigger military. Have somebody, an engineer, who'd been to, to, to their uh, Jerusalem tech instead of Caltech, have, have one of them design a whole new weapon with those superpowers. A political coup. What does God choose to do? Verse 6. To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given from God. And the government will be upon his shoulders, and when he is done, there will be a kingdom of eternal peace and shalom. All right, this is the third time in three chapters that Isaiah has prophesied about a child being born. It was there in chapter 7, verse 14. came up again later in chapter 8, verse 3. 
It comes up here for the third time. So everybody was wondering, uh, who is this child? Who is this child? And so uh, Ahaz, the king, his wife uh, gave birth to a child, Hezekiah, who, be, who became, maybe he's the one. Isaiah's wife gave birth to two sons with the weirdest, the weirdest names imaginable. You have to read through chapter 8 to see them. I look, look at that. Well, no, listen to me first. Read it at home. The weird names of Isaiah's children. Don't name your children those things. And you wonder, what, maybe one of those is the child who was born. But then, when we get to chapter 9, and for the first time, Isaiah actually describes what this child would be like. You know that those, those sons did not fulfill fully this prophecy. Because for the first time, he describes the child. And he does it with four names. Now, now let me tell you once again, I've told you this before, uh, for the Jewish people, uh, a name was more than just a label. Uh, you heard a soap opera a guy that had a nice name. I'm going to name my son that. That's not what it was. It actually, when a name was given and known, it described something about that person. Their character, their identity, their, their gifts or, or their skills. And there are four names that are given. So let's, let's figure out what, what this child is like. First, wonderful counselor. Uh, that word wonderful is a word that is used about 80 times in the Old Testament. And every time it refers to the kinds of things that only God can do. So, so in many ways, it should be a miracle working counselor. Do you ever feel like you need one of those? <laughs> you get into that place that you don't know what to do next. I've been there so often. We need a miracle working counselor who can do more than any kind of human wisdom can do. Ahaz was looking to, to all these other sorts of alliances. The people were even looking to, to mediums. But no, what we need is a miracle-working counselor to step in and let us to know something that can actually make a difference. Wonderful counselor. Mighty God. All right. um, the word mighty is the word for warrior. And if you read almost any of the great stories of battles... People, when they're in a tough place, want to have some sort of a warrior step in. It would be sort of like what we think of uh, like a Jedi. Yes, I saw the movie uh, with, with Chris and Jamie, my friend here. Saw the movie, and you just sense this longing uh, for Luke Skywalker maybe to come back again and to change everything. Maybe Ray is going to get the training she needs to step in and change things. And so the, always there is that hope that there will be a mighty warrior of somehow who can come in and change things. But do you see who this warrior is? It is God, mighty God the one who creates everything, the one who has power over everything. So when you put these together, the miracle-working counselor who knows what to do, the mighty God who can come in and actually do it. You can see why there's hope, can't you? Then Isaiah moves on to the third phrase, everlasting father. And this one has baffled people, both Jewish people and Christian people for the centuries. How could this son also be the father? Do you see it? Are you with me here? This child will be called everlasting father. It, it sounds so much like what Jesus said in John 8, 58, when he said to all the leaders, before Abraham was, I am. Uh, I think that what Isaiah was meaning by father is everything that the Old Testament texts tell us that a good father should be. I have to pause for a minute. 
Um, I know so many who come to church, uh, you haven't really had a good father, or your relationship is, is a broken one. And so when you see a text like this, you don't know quite how to relate to it. Let me tell you, I, I think even you can relate to this because even if your father hasn't been what you think a father should be, even that will help you to envision what a father should be, what you long for. And that kind of father that you long for is what this one has come to be to you. Are you with me here? A father who uh, really cares about what happens, who wants the best for you, who is willing to enter into that situation and not let go. And I love the fact that it's an everlasting father, everlasting as only an everlasting God can be. And the, the thought that this one who steps in and knows what to do and has the power to do it will step into the situation and will never leave us or forsake us, this should be a thank you, Lord, time. See, this is what the child has come to be to us. And at the end of the day, the one who is the prince of peace. Okay, prince. Um, okay, there are two guys, when you hear the word prince, I don't want you to think about. So I'm going to put their picture up here. Yes, there's Harry and William. Do you hear anything about them? And, and I, all right, they're up there. Now get rid of the picture. The, the, the prince that we think about in our day is, is sort of a figurehead. It just doesn't really have any, any power or responsibility. That is not what Isaiah was talking about. Uh, the prince was actually the one who took the agenda of the king and took it from where it was to, to, to completion. In, in a battle, the, the, the commander-in-chief would say, this is where we are going, and the battle plans would be implemented by the prince. Once peace had been established, the prince was the one who established the means to maintain that peace. And this prince is going to maintain a peace that will never end. Did you see it in verse chapter, chapter uh, 9, verse 7? He will be the prince who establishes shalom. All right. After all of this, who is this child? Do we need some hints? All right, I'll give you a few hints. Uh, chapter 9, verse 1, a hint. Um, he is going to bring honor to Galilee of the nations. Like other nations, because at that time, Galilee had all these people from other countries coming in, and they were often by the other Jewish people disrespected. What good can come out of there? Because they have all this hodgepodge of, of global people <laughs> all showing up that they didn't want there. And so they're but he is going to bring honor to Galilee of the nations and also probably have an effect upon all nations. Who could that be? Who may have grown up in Galilee and lived most of his life in Galilee? Any more hints? Let me see. Go down to verse 7. There's another hint there. He's going to reign on David's throne, which means he's going to be coming through the line of David. Who came through the line of David? Maybe both through his mother and his father's side. Anybody want to venture a guess? As Christians throughout the centuries have declared, this child that we long for, the only one who can come and bring peace, is the coming of the Lord Jesus. I read this again, and it made me think about the great Christmas carol that we sing, at least the parts of it I'll show to you. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping? And then the next verse breaks forth. The king of kings, salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. This, this is Christ the king. 
Haste, haste to bring him praise. The babe, the son of Mary. Jesus is the one who, when you bring him into your life, is the one who can take you from where you are to a place where that peace that you so deeply long for can at at last be established. In his first coming, he made it possible for you to have peace with God by, by taking the punishment for your sin. In his second coming, he's going to remake you to become all that God created you to be in the first place. That's what this Advent season is about. So what? So what? I've been thinking about what God would call us to do in light of this text. And, um, and in one sense, it is this ongoing call of us fixing our eyes on Jesus, on the child who came, fixing our lives, surrendering to him, fixing it upon Jesus. It was written 2,800 years ago. Now this son has been born and is not yet returned, but how does it actually change our lives now? And I've been asking about that. Uh, And I don't know if I'll ever ask about that of the Lord again, because I feel like all week the Lord has been saying to me, this is what it says to people today. You know, December is often, Christmas time is often one of the most difficult times for so many people because the joy and the peace that we talk about here, so many simply don't experience it. Uh, The hope that the family relationships will be what they're supposed to be almost always are not what we hope they will be and it, it puts people into the deepest, darkest moments, so many. And I'll tell you, I've been a pastor a long time and I've never had so many people come to me and share such difficult situations that they've fallen into. I've wondered what I can share. And that's not just from our church. It's from outside. And it's, it's not just from our area. It's people that I was a pastor of years and years and years ago who have gotten back to me. And they are walking through times that sound like death darkness. I'll generally mention the kinds of things. I'm, I'm sure you can tell me more of them that you know or that you experience. In case you think that maybe your spouse or your child or your parent called me and told me to preach to you, no, no, these are just general kinds of things. But if it hits you, I'll I'll be glad about that too because it will also give you hope. Uh, One series of them have been this kind what I call a failure again series of difficulties. Uh, One parishioner of many, many years ago who had really wrestled with ongoing addiction and failure, and, and we felt like he'd found really victory over it, and for a long time called and said, I've fallen right back into it, which, which is the sense three steps forward, two steps back. I think he felt more like three steps forward, four steps back. Can, can you relate to this, this, this feeling of, will I ever become a real Christian? Uh, well, all the other people who sit in church are all so perfect. How, uh, uh, how, how can that happen? Is there any hope for me? Is there any joy to be restored? Will complete peace ever come? It felt like death darkness. He just didn't even know where to turn, or what to do. The other, the other series of things were always family issues. It's become so clear to me that we don't have many perfect families here in the San Gabriel Valley. If you didn't know, I'll, I'll just declare that to you. And in this, character, this season that should be characterized by joy, there just seems to be an escalation of spouses leaving, of, of children rejecting home and God, and children falling into deep depressions, and 
of parents being too controlling, and of grandparents passing away, of, of bills exceeding income, and on and on and on. I'll, I'll just tell you, some of you know my assistant Tiffany. It's almost impossible to get through to me unless they're just crises. And there were so many crises, so many got through, got through to me. It was just such, such. It felt like to me as a pastor, death, darkness. People didn't know where to turn and what to do. Maybe you're in one of those places too. Maybe that's what brought you to church. Now, the other thing I've got to tell you is that even though many people bring it to the senior pastor, if, if you ever happen to even begin to think that the senior pastor is the miracle-working counselor who never has any problems of his own, the Lord humbled me this week too. I'm, I'm just telling you, one situation came to me where I had to make some difficult decisions, and I tell you, I have no idea, and really, when I stand before you now, I'm still not sure what to do. Um, one of our former pastors, uh, Pastor Matt Barnes, do, do any of you remember Matt? He's now the new senior pastor down at First Baptist Alhambra. He knew I was having a really difficult time, and when it was over, I've got to find out exactly what he texted to me. When it was over, he sent me a text, and he said to me, um, Greg, I don't know what the issue is, but how did it go? And I texted him back. He, it got to me in a time of particular uh, darkness, frustration. I said, I don't know what on earth to do, Matt. Here's what I need. I need a miracle-working counselor. I need a mighty God. I need an everlasting father who will come into this thing and not leave. I need a prince who will take it over and not stop until there is peace. Do you know what young Pastor Barnes, whom I'm more like mentored, Sent, had the audacity to send back to me. And I'll show it to you. <laughs> I'm going to weep. Unto us a child is born. So his message to me, and Isaiah's message to his people, and God's message to us today is that Jesus has come and he can handle this situation. Uh, people walking in darkness can still see a great light when we look to him. I believe that with my whole heart. Now, amen. At the same time, I know that sometimes when we come into church and a pastor preaches something like this, uh, the, the thought is, are, are you saying, pastor, that just kind of look to Jesus and poof, um, you'll know what to do and it'll go away. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of saying that, except without the poof part. <laughs> I'm saying that that's what you, you have to bring him into the center of the situation. This child who has come has to come into the center of your life. What does that look like? How does this play out? And I, uh, here, I've been thinking back to them. This part is going to be your pastor's testimony. God may work in your life in a very different way, but I'll tell you how I walk through these things. First, I've just, I make a determination not to do what King Ahaz did not to leave God out of the issue and the decision, uh, to, to open God's word and to ask, where do you speak to something like this in your word? I also take time to talk to, to other followers of Jesus to get some help and counsel there. And I do go out and look at how others have dealt with similar situations, whether they're Christians or not. I, I read the books, but all of the other things, I always submit to my best understanding of God's word 
And then I stop and pray. I'll tell you, in those times, I pray with more fervency than I ever pray. Something like this. Lord, I've been a pastor a long time, but I don't know what to do next. But I know that you do. And I surrender this thing to his God. I want to do whatever you want me to do. Show me your way. And often what God shows me is so different from what the books tell me to do. And I'll tell you, I must confess, I have to tell you this, that so often when I prayed like that, uh, the guidance hasn't come as quickly as I wanted it to come. God, for some reason, won't operate according to my timetable. But at the same time, here I stand before you after so many years of walking with the Lord, and I'll tell you that when I've taken the time and, and said, Lord, I don't know what to do, there's enough light at least to, to almost always, well, every time that I can remember to take at least one step. I know that there's one thing consistent with his word that I can do. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it's going to do much, but I've, I've just chosen to, to look for that, and then I take that step, praying that when I take that step, when I'm there and the time comes, God might show me what the next one might be. And I'll, I'll tell you, over these many years, I found God to be faithful to who he is, a provider and a rescuer, and one who ultimately brings light into darkness. When I was in the darkness, I couldn't see it. When I looked to him, I began to see. Now, I, I also have to confess uh, that the way he guides isn't ever the way I want him to work, at least in this. You know what I want? I, I want him to give me the map of the whole thing, where it's going to uh, end up. And I want the map that says, okay, you take a left here, and here's a, here's a, 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 here, here's a, a marker. When you see that, you'll know you're on the right path so that you don't have to worry about this or, or consult me. Does it ever work that way for you? Somebody else said this. I don't know who said it, but, but, but I'll tell it to you today. You know what it feels like? It feels like when you're going on a trip and you don't quite know where to do, uh, where to go, which direction to go, and you start, and Jesus gets into the passenger seat, and you say, uh, where are we going to go? He said, well, that's not the way we're going to do it. Just start that direction, and when it's time to turn, I'll tell you. And then you wait. And when you must know, he leads. Uh, I pray that that will be your experience. But from this text, I'm so convinced that where it has to start is you have to surrender every one of those difficult decisions to him, to your best understanding of his word. And so the personal question God's word asks, I think, of all of us today is this. Have you given over to this child the government of your life? I am convinced that only when that is true, when Jesus is truly the Lord of your life, that all of this begins to come together, that you begin to know his miracle-working counsel. I think only when really Jesus is at the very center of your life the government being on his shoulder, that you'll know the mighty God being with you. Only, only then can you continue to walk when the things at first may not turn out the way you thought they were going to, but you can continue to go because all you want to do is please him. The only thing you fear is displeasing him and know that he will never leave you or forsake you. 
And only then I'm convinced will we ever experience the fullness of Advent in which the Prince of Peace brings a peace that will never be taken away. So as uh, Isaiah declared to his people so long ago, and as Pastor Matt Barnes declared to me, I declare to you this morning on the basis of God's word, unto us a child is born. He is the Prince of Peace. And it will bring glory to his name. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that you would take this word and do with it in our lives what you have used it to do in countless lives of your children throughout the generations. Bring light into darkness. Bring hope into despair. Bring joy when we thought it was not possible. Continue your work of making everything right. Father, for uh, those who have come to church today who have never given their lives to Jesus, ask for forgiveness of sins and ask him to come into their lives. May this be their day of salvation. Father, for the rest of us who give our lives to you and then seem to want to take it back over and over again, Father, this is a day for us of re-surrender and commitment. May that happen in our hearts and lives. For this we pray.